0: Climbing was never so much about overpowering or conquering. Even the very first time when I trekked to the base of Everest and I came across the Himalayas, that possibly was the beginning of my healing. It was the very first time that I saw my my place in the universe and being like so tiny, such a little miniature. I felt I had, I had bumped into something that was stronger and more
1: powerful than me or than any human. Sylvia Vasquez Lovato summited Mount Everest in 2016. She's the first Peruvian woman to climb Everest and the first openly gay woman to climb the tallest mountain on each continent known as the Seven Summits. Her trip up the world's tallest mountain was part of an incredible journey toward healing, from sexual abuse when she was a child and from alcoholism as an adult. As she climbed, she learned to let go of a dark past and instead embrace a world of hope. I'm Shelby Stanger, and this is Wild Ideas Worth Living. Sylvia Vasquez Lovato's memoir, In the Shadow of the Mountain, details her childhood in Lima, Peru, her immigration to the US, and eventually her climb up Everest. The book is being made into a major motion picture starring Selena Gomez. Sylvia didn't climb Mount Everest by herself, she hiked the 80 miles from Lukla to Everest Base Camp with five other climbers, three Nepalis and two Americans, all survivors of sexual abuse. The group came together as part of Sylvia's nonprofit, Courageous Girls, which aims to empower survivors and help them heal by guiding them to Everest Base Camp. Once they made it to Base Camp, the group returned to Lukla while Sylvia joined an expedition to summit the mountain. It was an adventure she couldn't have imagined when she was a young girl growing up in Peru. A note, Sylvia's story involves a number of sensitive topics, including sexual abuse, alcoholism, and ceremonial drug use that could be triggering to some folks. Please take care. What made you want to climb mountains?
0: Great question. I was born and raised in Lima, Peru. And both my parents, especially my father, was born in the Andes. My mom's family, uh, they are actually from Huascaran, which is our tallest mountain. And even though I had that heritage, I was never interested in mountains. If anything, they always seemed daunting and something that only the toughest of the toughs could do. And unfortunately, I was just... Like, like many women around the world, I, I was sexually abused as a little girl from, for a long time, for about ages 6 to 10. And that took away the joy of my childhood. Ultimately, because of the complexity of how it had happened, I couldn't tell my parents until I was close to 15, 16. And, and when I told my mother, you know, she felt that the best thing for me would be to leave Peru. So I ended up moving to the U.S. on a scholarship. And unfortunately, when I finished college and I moved to San Francisco, I became an alcoholic. And there was a way for me to soothe the pain and soothe my trauma. So I was getting into a whole lot of trouble. My life was spiraling out of control. And I hit a point that I, I asked my mother for help. And so she had me come down to Purdue and out of the blue asked me to do a session of ayahuasca which my mother was not this new age kind of person. She was this very conservative Catholic woman. However, she had tried it and and somehow it had resonated with her. So she felt that potentially it could help me. So I will never forget, you know, August 25th, 2005, I go down there not having any expectation. And so I do this ayahuasca session. And the first thing I see is me as a little girl, the little girl that I had, that I hated, the little girl that I was trying to erase. And I see her just wanting to be embraced by my adult self. And I was very compelled, like she had been suffering, and so I just wanted to protect her. And so as I reconnect with my little girl, then we start hearing this rumbling and these mountains formed around us. And my little girl extends her hand and pulls me into walking into mountains. And so I, I got out of that vision and I told myself, aha, huh you know, mountains, wow, this is weird. And I it was one of those things that I, I felt there was a sacredness about connecting to this part of my life that I had been trying to erase. So there was something about, you know what, maybe I should take this, you know, do something about it. And I figure if I need to bring this massive pain, it would only make sense to bring it to the tallest mountain in the world. That's what I took myself to the base of Everest without any prior experience, not knowing what to expect. I was just following this, this crazy vision, something that was very sacred. And, and that is what started this, this whole journey for me.
1: Sylvia was 31 years old when she had her ayahuasca experience. Little did she know that vision would lead her to a full-fledged climbing career and the life she has today. When she reached base camp, Sylvia made a promise to herself. She would come back and climb to the summit. But you can't just wake up one morning and climb Mount Everest. It takes training, dedication, and mountaineering experience. So Sylvia decided that she would start by climbing the tallest mountain on each continent working her way up to the mother of all mountains, Everest. You describe climbing in a way that, you know, we don't hear stories about climbing the way you've described it. There's this motherly connection that you have with the mountain, and Everest has a different name. Can can you tell me what that name is and sort of what it means? Yes, yes. The name Everest was actually
0: it was after a British colonel who had done uh, they had done a, a survey expedition and so I th- I think they they named it after him when they discovered the peak but the local culture the the Sherpas I mean people in Nepal and the Tibetans the Tibetans call her Chomolungma which means mother of the world. For me, the name resonated. I mean, Chomulungma, mother of the world. I felt that was so powerful. I mean, they, they didn't call her father of the world, the fact that they had this beautiful maternal connection. But, you know, sharing the whole journey in the book, the way that I experienced it, I mean, climbing was never so much about overpowering or conquering. You know, to me, even the very first time when I trekked to the base of Everest and I came across the Himalayas, that possibly was the beginning of my healing. When I saw these towering peaks, I was climbing up this beautiful village. And as I got to the top, and I remember, I'll remember never forget making almost like a ride right in this curve and boom, it was a beautiful sunny day. And then you just see the side of the Himalayas and these overpowering, these towering massive formations of gorgeous mountains completely dominating over you it was the very first time that i saw my my place in the universe and being like so tiny such a little miniature i felt i had i had bumped into something that was stronger and more powerful than me or than any human and by the time that i got to the base of everest i remember just having this appreciation this gratitude that when I found that it meant mother of the world, to me, it just made the most sense. You know,
1: I, I'm really curious about how nature became such an important part of healing for you and, and how you found your way to it and sort of what it did for you. I believe that very
0: first time I came across the Himalayas was awe. And I think that is an emotion, that is a feeling that we can easily take it for granted. I love it when you see it in little kids. Every day for them is awe. It's about discovery. I think as adults, we get jaded. And especially in my case, the way that I was buried, my my trauma, and Florence talks beautifully in, in, in The Nature Fix, but... You know, almost getting out into nature, getting disconnected from everything, not having any distractions, kind of opens up the rewiring of the brain. And I felt that was really important. And and it allows you to find yourself being present and it allows you to reconnect to your body. So, you know, when you start putting all those elements, I, I think that was the beginning of the transformation For me, the opening of the healing, just uh, at the fact that I, you know, here I am connecting to something that it is much bigger than me, just starts bringing this, this
1: harmony. In many ways, being in nature encouraged Sylvia to push herself harder, to develop more grit and break through barriers. But climbing mountains also taught her to be softer. It cracked her open and encouraged her to be vulnerable. She quickly learned that there was no strength without vulnerability, and that the two were deeply intertwined. The insights that Sylvia gained from mountaineering were so impactful that she wanted to share her experience with other victims of sexual abuse. In 2014, she started a nonprofit called Courageous Girls. How did your experience lead you to get involved with other sexual abuse survivors, and you leading them to do these climbing trips and starting this, this movement called the Courageous Girls. You know, when I started climbing,
0: I took a personal journey. I remember when I got to the base of Everest, that very first time I made the promise, you know, when seeing the sunrise, I'm like, okay, Everest, I'm going to come back one day under two conditions. <laughs> I, I, I told myself, okay, I need to come back you know, prepared with with the experience of a mountaineer, and I need to come back with a social cause so that I can say thank you and give gratitude for for what I had just experienced at the time. And so I already put the seed about the social cause. And I didn't know what, how, when, you know, how it was going to come about. And so for the very first couple of years, as I started climbing, I remember being like, so what is this going to be? I wasn't open talking about my own journey being an an abuse survivor. I kept it very private. And I remember just being like, it it kept being in the back of my head because I I knew I needed to return to Everest with the particular social cause. And actually it was in Aconcagua when that night of my breakdown, I remember just crying my eyes out, doubting myself, not knowing what was going to happen. And the day after my, my breakdown, I was able to summit at Konkawa, and the evening after my summit, in my sleep, in my dreams, I heard this powerful voice that said, Sylvia, you have to continue climbing, you have to get to Everest, and also, you need to bring survivors you know, to the base of Everest. They need to come with you, you need to recreate this journey for them. And that was, I remember I woke up the minute that I, I, I had this, like I felt it was a voice, this this, this kind of like order, a mandate. And I, I looked at myself and I was like, oh my God, the altitude has gotten to me. But it was this almost sort of relief about, wow, okay, this makes sense. This is what I had been asking, what to do. So that was the very beginning of of putting this whole crazy idea, like, all right, well, let me convince women to come to the base of Everest from Nepal and San Francisco to, to do this journey with me, not knowing what to expect. So it's the Courageous Girls, a nonprofit. Courageous Girls is a nonprofit. Bringing this group of survivors and healing in nature worked. I mean, I, I guess I just didn't know in my own experiment, I, I didn't know, okay, you know, it happened to me and, and is this really going to be relevant for everyone else? And I think one of the most beautiful the two chapters that I love the most on the book are rhythm, and nothing you do is small, because to me it's almost you can see the healing happening on those chapters, and and actually not just the healing, but the community that we're building, and this this incredible sisterhood and motherhood, and and I, I what I also love about them is that. You can tell from the previous chapters I'm this neurotic person going like, oh God, what am I doing? But it is beautiful because if anything, uh, it's one of these beautiful journeys that you can actually see the healing taking taking shape.
1: Climbing from Lukla to Everest Base Camp is no easy task. It's about 80 miles and gains 8,300 feet of elevation. By making this trek with Sylvia. These survivors discovered the power that comes from pushing yourself to do hard things, especially outside. In fact, three of the young women from that initial trek to base camp have become mountaineering guides. When we come back, Sylvia reads an excerpt from her book and talks about challenges of the writing process. Sylvia Vasquez Lovato's story is full of low lows and high highs, like 29,032 feet above sea level highs. In early 2022, Sylvia published a memoir titled In the Shadow of the Mountain. It takes readers from Sylvia's upbringing in Lima to her adulthood in the Bay Area and her decision to start climbing. In the book, Sylvia writes in detail about her trek with courageous girls and about her expedition to the summit. When you go to book talks, what excerpt do you usually read? Oh, I,
0: can I read you mine? Yeah. I love this particular, I mean, the, the chapter that I wanted to read to you is when we're doing this beautiful blessing by these nuns that I had met once, uh, and they something unexpected that wasn't even planned. So here I am in the middle of this experience. Lucy's eyes open and she meets my gaze. She smiles and quickly looks away, her fingers absently stroking the silk kata at her shoulder. I take a deep breath and close my eyes again. The sound swallows me. The nun's voices become wind, divorced from any person or object. It moves freely, abundant and available for us to receive. Like the Buddhists say about the value of prayer, it is unconditional and tethered to any judgment or performance. All I have to do is be and I will be loved. I don't know where this thought comes from, but it's so radical, so foreign to everything I've ever known that the simplicity of it almost crushes me. I feel a physical twang in my heart. As the song fades to silence, I open my eyes to find the girls looking at me. The faces of the women in the room are warm and tender. I'm not sure how much time has passed. A minute? Ten? An hour? I realize I have been sobbing. My face is soaked with tears and little rivulets of snot run down my chin. Embarrassed, I smile and quickly wipe my nose on my sleeve. Thank you. I bow to the nuns. Thank you so much. I swear I wasn't planning to cry today. Laughter ripples through the room, but the nuns seem to know exactly what I mean. They bow to bid us goodbye. They've got another blessing to do in Pamboche, and their smiles are joyful. Shreya and Ehani reach out their hands to pull me up and embrace me in a hug. It's okay, Sylvia, says Ehani. I know, I say. They're happy tears, I promise. I had no idea the nuns were going to do a full puja. I had never experienced anything like that. Maybe the Nepali girls had. As we leave, the nuns promise to pray for us every day and to keep praying for me until I reach the summit. But send us a message when you get to the top, calls Annie Chokle in a serious tone, so we can stop praying. I laugh. I guess even unconditional love has its limits.
1: So much of your book is inspiring. Like, I, I couldn't put it down. I am blown away by your story and your, your ability to share it. So, so let's talk about your book, In the Shadow of the Mountain. When did you first decide, I'm going to write a book? <sighs> I always felt...
0: When I was doing the seven summits, but the impetus didn't come until my first anniversary while summiting Everest, I was involved in a horrible bike accident. I ended up on the ICU. I fell without a helmet. So I had this massive brain concussion. And while I was in the ICU, they found a small brain tumor at the base of my brain stem. And for a couple of days, they couldn't determine if my tumor was benign or cancerous. I remember that very first night, I, I had my friends who were visiting, I kicked everybody out and I told myself, well, if it's cancerous, I will quit my job you know, tomorrow and I will spend the rest of my life trying to climb as much as I can, trying to connect with as many young women and trying to find a way of sharing the story. And so luckily my tumor was benign, yet this was in 2017, I still had to complete Denali. And Denali had been elusive. it uh, I already had tried going there, you know, two times. And I felt that I maybe needed to to finish that before I could feel like, hey, I want to share this story. Unfortunately, because of the accident, I eventually had to have brain surgery. But it took me over a year and a half to, to get my strength again. And after I came back from Denali, I had a bad episode with drinking. And I told myself, this is it. You know, it's either one more drink or my life. And I decided to get a little bit of help and went into this inner exploration of can I okay, what is this addiction and how can I overcome it? Can I really work can i can I for once and for all deal with it and so as that started opening up, I think I was six months into my sobriety when I felt okay, then I feel I can start walking this path of of telling the story. I wanted to, for once and for all, free myself from, from all the shame that I had. And I've been very lucky now. I'm four years sober. Um, and I needed to come to terms with, with that part. And, and I think is is been able to share through this really raw book, just the beauty that we can find in, in, in us.
1: Yeah. I mean, vulnerability and getting in touch with vulnerability is a whole other Everest to climb.
0: Yes, it is. It is. But but the beauty of that, and that's what I love. How we start the book, you know, that episode with almost getting blown by this storm at twenty five thousand feet, and you know, I I am about to quit the expedition. I I just I need somebody to come and hug me, somebody to give me that strength. I'm at my lowest, and there's no one. And it's still, you know, I was able to just you know, by, by trying to, to hug my oxygen tank and hugging myself was I gave myself the kind of the strength that, that kept me going.
1: Yeah. In some ways you were your own mother. Yes. It's, it's such a good book because it vacillates between your past and your present with climbing a mountain and it goes back and forth and back and forth. And you feel like you're on the mountain with you and you feel like you're in the moment and it's really well written. So tell me about the writing process. Like, how did this book come together? I had, I mean, it wasn't just a,
0: an individual process. I had a whole team. I mean, from the very beginning, my journey, I mean, originally, I wanted to write a book about the seven summits. I have kept my journals on every single one of my expeditions. So so I would say my ego was, why don't I write about every single learning on every mountain? and when we started putting the i like how would the memoir take shape what would be some of the areas that we wanted to focus we felt that it would make most sense to kind of keep the story concise in terms of the climbing and focus on the everest journey because we also had a lot with the story with the girls and how to to bring that forward and so instead of being more of a creative process it became almost more a little bit of a business process. I mean, I was incredibly structured and the way that we broke it out is, okay, let's look at the whole structure of the story. What are we gonna focus? Everything was broken down for me into like little snippets. So then I would go on and start writing. One of the things that became so pivotal for me is I had no idea how much knowledge of all the trauma was stored in my body. And my therapist is a somatic therapist who is able to reawaken at times those experiences. So, through this whole journey, writing the book, I mean, and, and, and the irony is, I was able to really fully do it through the pandemic where there was no distractions. I mean, and I had to isolate. So, I literally was isolating. And I mean, I, one of the hardest things for me was to reopen the kind of worms, and to reopen the detail that I did. And, and even as I have been an outspoken kind of activist about my, my own experience, I never really got into the details until you know, the scenes kept calling for it. And so I literally would use my therapy sessions into digging into it. And, and that's why I've told people, it's not gonna be an easy read it, it it can be a little bit triggering, but it is one of these things that just like any storm at times, you know, before you see this gorgeous sun, sometimes you're going to have to go through a little bit of turbulence. I'm really
1: grateful that you did share your story. I can just tell you have this zest for life that's intense because you know that life can be fleeting and hard and painful, yes. but also beautiful. That's what I took from it. You know, to me, this is an invitation to anyone.
0: And even though it hides as a climbing book, it's not a climbing book. I mean, it is is—it is a journey that we all have. this This book is about really following your dream, whichever dream it is.
1: What's your advice to people who just want to get out there and pursue whatever wild idea they have?
0: What I will tell all of our listeners is just take that first step. Just go for it as as tiny as it could be. It could be a baby step. It doesn't matter. Just take it. Just trust it. Check it with your heart, not to make it too cheesy, but close your eyes. Put your hands in your heart and ask. Ask. Okay, is this is what we want? We want to follow it. Is this is how does this resonate? We have no clue how we're gonna make it, but does this resonate in us? Yes. Okay, let me take the first step. I think we are the biggest manufacturers of change. Just, it just takes that little baby step to just say it out. I think it's it's the very beginning of, of anything that it is wild.
1: Okay, well, what is your next wild idea? I mean, you have so many. So I mean, the the biggest, biggest, wildest idea, which, you know, I'm
0: putting it out there, will be to climb the tallest mountain in the universe, which is in Mars, and it's called Olympus
1: Mons. (laughs) What?
0: The downside about it yet is like, if I go to Mars, I will become blind. So I'm giving myself, you know, maybe a couple of decades before I do that. I mean, I I feel I still need to see things. I didn't
1: even know this was a thing (laughs) or like a possibility. It is is not, but that is as wild as I get. Wow, Sylvia, you dream big. (laughs) Mars. I was was, not expect that. (laughs) Uh,
0: Short term, I think personally, I would love to continue the second seven summits, the second tallest mountains in the world. You know, I call myself a messenger of the mountain, trying to bring as as many people as I can, trying to to make it as inclusive. So
1: um, can I just ask you another piece of advice for listeners? Yes. Using nature to heal from trauma. I I get that it's not just nature. There's therapy. There's like, there's a lot of ingredients, but if someone has had abuse or trauma, trauma is so sticky and it's not a straight line. Just any advice on on where to start that healing?
0: Yeah. I personally, for me, and, and you will see it on the book, I feel that what trauma sometimes does it takes us away from our bodies, especially if we had had to endure something that was against our will. And so what I have found is that with trauma, we sometimes get disconnected to our bodies. And especially for me, the addiction was numbing it. And my humble advice by being in nature, especially if we can give ourselves a little bit of time and just by, by taking in, the landscape by taking in the environment, it will allow us to recenter and refeel ourselves, kind of rekindling that relationship with our own bodies. Just reconnecting, giving ourselves a little bit of space. I think it will give us a very first step of coming back to our bodies, appreciating that, feeling our feet touching the ground, feeling you know, feeling the, our heartbeat. If we get a little agitated, depending of what we're climbing, just being able to open up that all. I would say for for anybody who feels they're struggling, you know, nature will bring you that. And and to know that you are not alone, to know that you're being held, that you're being witnessed, that you're not alone, that you're being watched
1: in the most sacred of ways. Sylvia never expected to become a mountaineer, much less to climb the tallest mountain in the world. Connecting to these peaks taught her so much about strength, about tenderness, and about respect. By sharing her journey, Sylvia reminds us of the incredible healing and transformative power of nature. Sylvia, thank you so much for talking with me and telling me your story with such vulnerability and energy, and so much courage. You can get Sylvia's book In the Shadow of the Mountain anywhere books are sold. Go buy it now. It's my favorite book I've read this year. You can also follow Sylvia on Instagram at Sylvia Vasla to see what adventure she's doing next. That's Sylvia Vasla, S-I-L-V-I-A-V-A-S-L-A. Sylvia's story is being made into a movie starring Selena Gomez as Sylvia. There isn't a release date yet, so be sure to follow Sylvia on Instagram to find out when it'll be out. If you want to learn more about Sylvia's nonprofit Courageous Girls, you can go to CourageousGirls.org. Wild Ideas Worth Living is part of the REI Podcast Network. It's hosted by me, Shelby Stanger. Written and edited by Annie Fassler and Sylvia Thomas of Puddle Creative, and our senior producer is Chelsea Davis. Our executive producers are Paolo Motula and Joe Crosby. As always, we appreciate when you follow this show, rate it, and review it wherever you listen. And remember, some of the best adventures happen when you follow your wildest ideas.